to where I was. No, okay. <laughs> I've, I've, I've rebooted to original settings, you know? Nice oh, dear. <laughs> am, I the, I'm the, am I the only Las Vegas person that visited your game store? Yes, you are. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're probably the only Las Vegas person that went to the state. No. The state. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in that state. Of the people that I know, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. That was nice of you to visit. No, it was cool to do it. It was completely out of the blue. I didn't know he was coming, and there he was. Just walked in. Yeah. That's what Andy like does. Some, some like like some homeless man. Took me a minute yeah. to realize who it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's because the beard is so much longer now than when you lived here. He oh, no, it was, it was pretty trimmed, I think, Ben. Yeah, you were a little more trimmed then, right? You got a little more sweaty tooth madman going right now than you were then. Well, yeah, this, is, this, <laughs> this is pandemic here. Yeah, when you when you posted the pirate uh, singing video, Andy, I'm like, where's Andy? At? Oh, shit, that's him in the front. Uh, yeah. The short, the short trim beard. Front and center, baby. Back when he was uh, presentable. Yeah. It's been, what, six or seven years? Six years now, I think, that I've been out of Vegas. Uh, yeah, that's so... Yeah, you guys were still relatively kind of young as a podcast when I was there. In comparison, sure. Yeah. Because is it 10 years now you've been doing this? More than yep. that now. Are we, Almost yeah. 11, yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, yeah, that's right. I watched your 10 year anniversary video thing. That was really cool. Yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, congratulations. Holy crap. Actually, we're coming up on 12 years now because 500 was roughly the 10 year mark yeah well I, 52 a year so i don't think it's perseverance as much as just habit yeah there's that well <laughs> hard to establish that habit though you know what i mean no, it, like it's not it's, an easy it's thing all to do. todd it's it all is. todd todd's todd's sure. being very modest but it's uh his keeping it going that has kept it going i mean there's definitely some truth to that he and he and jeff just refusing to let it die absolutely <laughs> and a good thing. morphed it morphed it to the next thing yeah. Well, well and that's a good thing, you know. That's uh, yeah. it's um I actually read Citadel of the Fallen. Yeah. Did you? Oh. Yeah, I got all the way through it. Not that that was hard to do, that's actually a pretty quick read. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot it's of fun. Very smooth. Yeah, it reads quickly. It's uh it's pretty action packed. There's very little downtime in it. It's there's a good sense of urgency and and desperation and all that. Jazz. I thought it was good. I was I really uh -huh. enjoyed it. You hear that, J.R. Conkle? You hear that? Good stuff. Yeah. yeah, that was a fun book. It was. It was. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, interesting little characters and an interesting world and premise and kind of thing going on there. I mean, I know right. I didn't pipe in on the uh, the Facebook page, the book club, because I'm a knucklehead. But you know, yeah. Thank I'll you, sir. That. Thank you, Mr. Conkle. Thank you, Shock Monkeys, for joining us for Geek Shock number five hundred and seventy-two. I am Master Torgo. Eighties Jeff. Master K. Back check, Andy. And Captain Luddite. The Yay! one, the only, after, what, six years is what you, you said. I believe I've been back in home in Illinois for six years now. I was doing the show like right up before I left. So, yeah, it's probably darn close. Six or six years. Refuses Great. to accept that promotion to Admiral. It has to be earned. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> they, they, they won't just hand it to you, despite what the J.J. Abrams movies will tell you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you guys haven't all been killed so that I'm just immediately, you know, promoted to Admiral. Field sure, promotion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Field promotion. You could know. be tomorrow. You never know. <laughs> With some of your behavior. Yeah, it could be tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> or just what I'm eating, frankly. It's... <laughs> or the people I'm exposed to every weekend. Yeesh. <laughs> Vegas is thriving, is it, Jeff? It's it's <laughs> hanging on by a thread, but yeah. There you go. <laughs> so those shock monkeys that have been only a part of this show for the last five years, Captain Luddite was a voice for a good long while on our show. Uh, he's also the guy that directed the movie the that I was in. The right? Impossible. The impossible to watch movie. <laughs> yes. The, <laughs> the the can't find it anywhere movie. Truly underground. Truly, wins a lot. <laughs> yes, wins a lot. Todd was great in that movie, by the way. Appreciate he it. was very good. And it's it's amazing, a testament to Luddite. Not only he made the movie, but in the age of the internet, he's got something completely suppressed. <laughs> better than Barbara Streisand. Uh, wasn't it on Vimeo for a little while and then I suddenly it, just disappeared? Yeah, I had it on Vimeo, and you could watch it. Uh, I think it was, you know, one of those where you had to pay to watch because I was trying to make back some of the money I I spent on that thing, and then I just couldn't afford to keep it up on Vimeo. So it went mm. you were Pumba and Lion King here in Las Vegas. Yeah, I did that. that. For, yeah, I did that for about three years. Yeah, and then when you left Las Vegas, you then opened up a board game shop. Yeah, yeah, I was headed uh, somewhere else. I was headed to Madison, as we were talking earlier, where I'm going to go now. And I was visiting my mother in my hometown, and she used to own a, a toy store in my town. It's a little college town, Macomb, Illinois, about 20,000 people. And we got talking, and she was like, well, what are you going to do? And I go, I don't know. And I had a little money from selling my house, and she said, well, with that money, you might be able to open a store here in town. And I was like, you know, I always thought it'd be cool to try to run a, a, a game store. So I did, and opened up a game store. And then, of course, uh, six months after I opened, the governor of Illinois changed hands to Governor Rauner, and he decided to not have a state budget for two and a half years. And the number one employer in my town was a state university. Yeah, money got a little tight in our town because a lot of people were losing jobs. And yeah, so the purchase of a luxury item like board games uh, kind of faded. It ran for about four years, but it never made any money. In fact, I usually lost money. So I'm not a great business person. I will. That's like when it closed. Did, did somebody else take it over, and did you just end up having to store? I had a couple people who were interested, and then they looked at the books and went, "Oh," and I said, "Yeah, that's why I'm closing." <laughs> 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 they thought I was just giving up on it, and I was like, "No, it's a stinker. It makes no money. I'm losing money." And they were like, "Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, no, I get it now." So what happened <laughs> to the stock? Did you end up? Do you have like a? You have like a warehouse full or a storage unit full of, you know, several thousand games. <laughs> Not quite. I sold a lot of it. A lot of it. You know, I just had a big sale at the end and sort of a going out of business sale. And then I had some stuff like for uh, I was doing puzzles and games, board games. And then I also had some stuff for like little kids, like rattles and teething things for, you know, toddlers and babies and such. So a lot of that stuff I just donated to the local um the regional center and they sort of do uh, a Santa for needy kids every year. 
And so yeah. they, they need gifts to give to kids every year for Christmas. So I gave like four or five boxes of the stuff that was left to that as wow. just a, you know, hey, here's Santa gifts for a bunch of kids That's that nice. could use it. Yeah. That's, That's nice. a much better than I thought. Yeah, it was a, a nice way to get rid of that stuff. And now I have a personal board game collection of about two or 300 board games. <laughs> How many is open? open? <laughs> Not that many. I don't have any duplicates. Uh, well, I have a duplicate of Ticket to Ride because I have the 25th anniversary Schnazzy Dazzy version. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> which is really nice. Um, yeah. My shelf of shame, as they call it, the games you have yet to play in your collection, is relatively small considering. So. As, as opposed to your uh, the Library of Intent, which is the books you haven't read yet. <laughs> I didn't know that phrase, the Library of Intent. <laughs> I like yeah, that. I have one of those too. That's a new phrase for me. So anybody out there that might be getting into some kind of n- wanting to get in some niche geek store space, what is the best and worst part of running a game store? I mean, I did enjoy for once in my life being the boss and making all being the one who's making all the wrong decisions. But also, I mean, I did get to play a lot of board games. A lot I had customers who would come in because they knew they could come and play a game because I was there and available. I would be very good about saying hi to customers when they came in, and if they needed help, anybody who was playing a game with me knew that the game would have to be put on pause so that I could help a customer. Mm-hmm. But that was nice. I tried to avoid it. I avoided the traditional game store thing of, screw you, if I don't know you, I'm not interested in you, I'm busy playing my game. Uh, my priority first was to help the customer, and second, to play the game. I, I enjoyed that. I loved playing that many games. That was definitely an upside to it. Some of the downsides were I did work six days a week, probably 60 to 70 hours a week. Uh, wow. Yeah, it was just me. I couldn't afford to hire anybody, which was fine most of the time. But there were some weeks that it got a little old. And, uh, you know, there were a handful of customers I didn't really want to sit down and play a board game with for two hours. But <laughs> I would do it because, you know couple people here have been bartenders. You know how that goes. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kay, um, Kay and I have both been uh, comic book shop uh, workers, too. So, we, yeah, there's some crossover in that territory. Oh, I don't. Oh, I can't imagine the comic book world. Of, well, the problem with episode, you know, the number 17 of Superman 3 is that Lois Lane is three inches taller than she was. in episode. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like awesome. you, it was like you were there. yeah there were a couple of people that i know far too much about their lives Mm -hmm. considering i just don't i could barely tell you their name (laughs) they're a bartender for nerds yeah a little bit yeah there's definitely there was definitely some of that but it was a lot of fun and it was a really great experience it just and you know things have been a little different i think i think the store would have worked somewhere in a larger market but i wouldn't have had the initial money to make it start in a larger market because rents mm-hmm. would have been higher and all that stuff. And the, uh, the, 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 the problem with everybody being out of work right after you started it too, that probably didn't help at all. Yeah. Everybody was on edge for a good two or three years there. Of, am I going to have a job? Am I going to keep my job? Am I going to lose my, a lot of my salary? It was, yeah, it was a rough time. That's all part of owning a business, all that boring stuff of trying to see what's going on in the market all over. So, yeah. So let's but let's it, get to the real question that the monkeys want to know. Did you carry Warhammer? Uh, 
So when I first started, Warhammer was still in its old model, business model, which meant that to get started in Warhammer, I had to keep a minimum, I believe, of $5,000 worth of merchandise in that store. That meant a 10-foot by 10-foot section wall space in my store minimum had to be only Warhammer. That was about a third to a half of my budget for everything in the store at that time. And, and a lot of your floor space, too. Yeah. So I just I couldn't afford it. It was impractical because they were still going off of that UK model where there is a Warhammer store in every little village in the UK. Right. Uh, somehow it's just that popular. UK is more into the miniature world than the US is. It's a smaller country. Yeah. So it, it just, the model that worked in the UK doesn't work in the United States. And they realized that finally when they got new management that ran the place. And that was about two years into me owning my place. At that point, uh, I could get the stuff. So I would special order it for people. And I started carrying some of the paints and brushes, but not a ton. Uh, but those who played knew I could get it for them. And so I started getting it for people. And then people were really getting into War Machine, which is a, a different company, but a similar game. Warhammer would be uh, armies, and War Machine is uh, battalions, in yeah, kind of, if yeah. you think about it, in scale, you know. Little skirmishes. Yeah, it's a skirmish game uh, with very similar rules to Warhammer, but different. Uh, and nice quality models uh, to paint. So it had a lot of the same aspects to it that are the same to Warhammer. But I never really got into Warhammer, I'm sorry to say. Oh. Uh, I played a little bit of War Machine. Well, even one of the guys who's a super fan of Warhammer here said, if you don't like, I like the painting and the putting together of the models and everything, all that. He knew a couple guys who didn't like the painting. And he was like, well, there's no point in playing Warhammer if you don't like painting. Because he's like, there are better tactical war games out there than Warhammer. <laughs> part of what it is about is painting the miniatures. Like you have to, it's, that's part of the hobby of it. Um, but for those of you out there who do like Warhammer and don't like painting, uh, you can always reach me on my Twitter feed at Master Torgo for possible commission space. Uh, uh, from what I understand, it is a bang for the buck. It is a tremendous value. Uh, <laughs> Bristow Painting and Company Incorporated, uh, MMF LLC, uh, will get you anything you need at any price that is reasonable. <laughs> I like looking at Todd's evolution of his paint jobs on those figures, because back when he first started, when I was still living there, and he would show me the little things he was doing, and I was impressed with that. Versus, like, right when I moved out, and I'm, like, dumbfounded at how good the paint jobs were on those things. Especially with the fine, intricate detail that you have to do, because they're so tiny. Yeah, there are, some of them are crazy small, yeah. Time and desire, baby, time and desire. And, of course, I have to ask this question. Yeah. Being surrounded by board games as you have been... Yeah. What are what currently in no particular order would you say are your five favorites? Wow. Okay. So um, the one you might be surprised by, but I have to say is one of my favorites still is Ticket to Ride. I know it's such a basic game, but it's a game I will still play anytime somebody asks, and I always enjoy it when I play it. It's probably the game I've played the most in my life, partly because I had some friends in Vegas who loved it, and we played it all the time. Um. <clears throat> 
Then after that, it gets a little tricky. I mean, it sometimes depends on the week or the day or the month. There's a, a game called Scythe that I like a lot. There's uh, uh, which is called what? Called Scythe, S C Y T H E. It's a fascinating, uh, amazing artwork. You'll love the artwork, Andy. In fact, the artwork existed prior to the game, and then the game guy, the game designer, was inspired by the artwork to create this game that would fit in this world. It's sort of a steampunky, but not entirely steampunky, but sort of alternate universe post World War II kind of world. Uh, uh, yeah, it's really fascinating. So you have these like war machine monster uh, things that you use in the game, and then you it's you're collecting. It's a bit of a resource collecting game, and using them to to gain points by doing certain things. But you also can interact with each other. You can attack each other. There's some area control. There's some resource balancing. There's some uh, timing of things. There's a lot of in the game. I'm looking at pictures of it now, and it looks kind of like a somewhere between uh, Catan and Risk. It's a really lovely game, but it's also kind of a race because the first person to get to 10 points wins the game. There are like 14 points you can earn, right? So you don't all, you aren't all going for the same points. Like once I get all of my men out on the board, everybody else can get all their men out on the board, right? So it's just the first person to get 10 points, but you can do it in about 14 different ways. And so right. you, there's always four or five points you're not getting. And then when that happens, then you tally your points based on other things that you've done throughout the game. It's a really fun and interesting game. The, the, the stressful and exciting part of the game is when somebody gets about two, point, you know, two points away from ending the game, you never know whether the next turn is going to be your last turn. They might possibly score two points or they might possibly only score one point. And so there's always, there's, there's like the last third of the game there, or fourth of the game, there's a tension of like, is it going to end? Do I try to do this thing that'll take three turns? Or do I try to do this thing that'll earn me fewer points, that, but it'll only take one turn, so I know I'll get it done. And so there's some really good decision-making you have to make. In that. I'm looking at the artwork now, and you're right, it's gorgeous. I also noticed there seems to be a My Little Scythe game that <laughs> looks kind of uh, My Little they made, a, they made a kid's version of it. So it was so popular... Uh, it's a scaled-down version for children. Crazy. Um, and they had the game. They designed the game, and the, the artist, they asked the artist, hey, can we use your artwork? Because we designed a game based on your artwork. And he said, awesome. I love this game enough. I'll create more artwork just for the game. And so he ended up contributing his art into the game and creating more artwork for it. So it was an interesting little thing that happened there with that. That's Scythe. That's an interesting, intricate game. There's another one I like called Nations which is a, a card game, and it's sort of a nation-building, like empire-building kind of game. Uh, and you're just putting different cards on your board. They give you more points and rewards, and then it becomes worker placement, where you're placing guys on the different cards to get the benefits of those different things. And so you're trying to balance your military, your financial situation, your food, harmony in your nation. You know, like It's an like interesting, uh, challenging... Yeah, that's a really fascinating game. If you like civilization or those kinds of games, oh, oh, might, do I? Yeah, oh, yes. You might, you might like Nations only because it is also kind of a civilization building game. Uh, it doesn't quite work like Civilization, although I will say the new Civilization board game is pretty good. Not on my top five, but it's pretty good. Nations is a game that I would say the first ten times I played it, the game played me. I didn't play the game. I just couldn't wrap my head around it, and the other guys I was playing with. They had been playing it for a while, and so they would just, 
I, I do like three moves in a round and they do like 10 or 12. And I'd be like, how are you, how are you guys able to do that? <laughs> it just took me forever <laughs> to figure out how to play that game. And then once I figured it out, I, yeah, that's, it's definitely up there in my top, top games. Both of those games are, are pretty, uh, pretty pricey, but they're good games and they'll take a while. They're Scythe runs a little faster, but nations can be a two or three hour game easy, especially if you haven't played it much. Cause there's a lot of, there can be analysis paralysis in that game, which isn't a bad thing, but it can drive you nuts sometimes when you're like, come on, just pick something. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else off the top of my head. I would call Any deck builders. You know, I do like it's an, it's an oldie, but a goodie. I do. I still like dominion. And I know that game's been around forever. That's the OG. Yeah, and but it's still a good game. It's still a, a fun game, and and I'll play it. Just the basic game still. I don't need all the craziness. The craziness is fun, but I, I'm impressed that like every expansion I've played of that works well too. They've done a good job of that. Um, I still like that one quite a bit. You know, there's a couple of other like lighter games that play real quick, like Space Base which is like a dice rolling game that you, uh, whatever number is rolled, you can get the benefits of a card and then you get some money to buy new cards that are better versions of those numbers. And then you can start to stack what those cards give you and you get more with each time the dice is rolled. The fascinating thing in that game is uh, when you roll the dice, you can use the dice combined to use one number or each individual dice to get the rewards on two different numbers, which is kind of cool. The interesting thing about Space Base is every time somebody rolls, you benefit on everybody's roll. If you have a oh, card nice. under that, if you have a card under that number, then you get to get the reward of that number. And so you're kind of engaged in everybody's turn, right? You're waiting to see. And every time somebody like rolls an eight, you're like, thank you for my big thing. And they're like, God damn it. I rolled another eight for that bastard. And I don't have an eight for myself. So that's a fun little game. It's not like blow your mind complicated or anything. If you're looking for an introductory game and, hey, you want to try this new world of board gaming, that's a pretty good choice, I think. It's really accessible and kind of fun and interesting. Space-based. Uh, has, yeah, space-based. I'm not, I can't think of anything else right now. There's that's a, all right. Another... You've given us a lot to, yeah. <laughs> a lot to weigh now. there. That's great. <laughs> that, that is actually five. There's another one that's really interesting called Mysterium. Have you heard about that oh, one? Oh, yes. I've played that. Yeah, I, I have it for when we can do games again. That is a great, really fascinating game. I always joke that it's if Dixit and Clue had a baby, it would be Mysterium. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that one I like too. For a more of a social party game, I like that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so glad you're here, Captain. It's, uh, we've missed your voice. It's been great listening to you guys. A bit I hadn't listened for a while, and then during the, uh, the pandemic here, I just got back into it. And uh, it's been nice to hear you guys. As many of your listeners have said, I appreciate that you guys have kept it going because I know it's not an easy thing to do. Oh, thank you, man. As I said uh, on our messages, thank you for bringing um, all the you know, me and Matt and, and the guest hosts in because it's I miss doing it a lot. No, indeed, I'm glad to uh, bring this all back together. It's 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 been very nice. Editing has been a pain in the ass, but other than that, it's been <laughs> very very nice. Todd is very happy that you're back. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But hasn't it? I mean, come on, Todd. It, hasn't it always been a pain in the ass to edit? I mean, it's never been easy. Well, what used to take me two hours of that part now takes six. But other than that, it's fine. Oh, you missed a golden opportunity there. You said what used to take two hours now takes all day. Uh, well, I'm I'm 
I'm sorry, I wasn't sent the script. Um, <laughs> Kay got it. He's like, he, I can see him laughing right now. Uh, before we continue on, uh, we are still reading All Systems Red by Martha Wells for the Geek Shock Book Club, although we will be taking nominations soon for February's book, so be on the lookout for that. And thank you, everybody, that's been sending in the Pitches Bitches for the new red light, green light format. One note I do want to throw out there is when you send in your pitches, make sure they're of some sort of genre or genre adjacent. Uh, we've been getting a lot of pitches that are, are like like general kind of thriller styles that that if, if you know red light, green light, we're almost always doing some kind of. Every show has a fantasy, supernatural, or sci-fi tinge to it. Or if they don't, they harken back to some piece of heavy pop culture history, like when we brought in Smokey and the Bandit. Uh, so, so when you're doing your, sending your pitches to us, please make sure you're following in that so it fits in our red light, green light. Uh, not that you haven't written some great thrillers. You absolutely have. Uh, but unfortunately, they're they're not the kind of things that we consider for the done right productions. But you'll never write as great a thriller as Michael Jackson. No one will. No one. And the will. bar the bar is pretty high after last week. Uh, <laughs> guys, we basically green green lit one of them almost every week. <laughs> so, right. So the the bar has been high for since we started it. But in the meantime, any geeky things you did this week you want to get off your chest? Uh, we'll start with you, Captain Lotte. Well, I just finished. Well, I watched uh, Lupin, the new uh, show on Netflix. Oh. It's a, a French-made uh, Netflix original about a uh, con man cat burglar who's doing a heist to steal an expensive necklace, the the Queen's necklace, and then it ends up that it has a connection to his past, and there's a kind of a mystery connected to it all. And what's really going on. And so it sort of becomes a solving the mystery, but through him being a con man slash cat burglar. So if you like heist movies and you like kind of con man things and such, I think you might like it quite a bit. It is in French. Uh, I don't mind French with the subtitles. When I first started watching it, it had the English subtitles over it. And they were well done like in Money Heist. But I still prefer to just read the subtitles and hear it in its original language. Just yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's it's interesting and and uh, is there's this some... is this the same Lupin as the anime? I don't know about the anime because um, I don't know about anime. Uh, Maurice LeBlanc series of novels. So I guess it, I bet it is. Yes, they talk about that set of novels. Okay, uh, and then and this young man is inspired by the novels. To sort of oh. live his life that way. Okay. okay. So Lu Lupin the Third, Andy, is the name of the anime you're thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if this this is based on the anime or whether this is a whole new idea that uses those books to inspire this character. Because uh, I don't know my anime. Yeah, I, I don't. I just knew the title. I just looked it up. So I yeah. Was like, yeah. But yeah, they talk about those books a lot, and the uh, main character is sort of trying to live his life like that character in those books. Ah, okay. So he's trying to be a gentleman in the world, but also a cat burglar and do these really elaborate plans and things like that. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's it's a typical kind of heist con thing in that there are a couple things where you go, ah, I don't know if somebody could really make that happen the way that worked, but it was fun anyway, so I don't care. <laughs> 
It was a lot of fun. How many episodes is it? I think it's only five or seven. It's pretty short. It does kind of end on a cliffhanger. And so it's good that they're doing a part two. I don't know whether they knew they had the part two prior to finishing it so that they knew they could do the cliffhanger or what, but you know what I'm saying. Do you guys remember the loop in the third arcade machine that came out in 83? Wow. No, I don't know. It, it was, it was what? on the heels of the dragon's lair. It was a laser disc game. It wasn't called loop in the third. It was called cliffhanger. And like Ring. one button was like <laughs> foot. One button was hands and, it it was it was literally Dragon's Lair, but it was this Lupin character that you're describing from this series. Huh. It's a very, I only saw it once in the arcades, and I played it once and was confused all the hell out of it, and then never ever saw it again. But but it's out there. I didn't know if uh, any of you guys ever saw or played it. In- wow, just uh, I never heard that. Uh, they made it for the uh, Nintendo NES. No, that's a different one. Oh, they no, made no, a whole. That's, that's a, they made a whole bunch of. Lupin games, lots okay. of them, uh, but this one was called Cliffhanger, and it was only in arcades because it was a laser disc game. Yeah, I mean, I'm watching footage of it right now, and I I don't remember this at all. But the the anime is literally right out of the uh, anime series that's been on like um, Adult Swim in the past, or Toonami, I guess, during Adult Swim. Oh, the the animation from the video game is the yes. same as the anime series that Andy was talking about. Yes. Interesting. Now, I'd never heard of Lupin, but from the TV show, you get the impression everybody knows about him in France. So it must be a very popular series of books in France. I uh, watched uh, Doom Patrol. Nice. I knew nothing about it going in. And it's a delightful ride. What a crazy, crazy little world that is. And Alan Turdick is, uh, what a surprise, amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, as the bad guy in the it's spoiler alert, he's the bad guy in the first season. I miss him a little bit in the second season. I think it's just him that I miss, not necessarily the character. You know what I mean? Right. That is a highly inventive and creative story, right there. And uh, and as I was talking about this last week, uh, I did not read the Vertigo books, the Vertigo Doom Patrol books. I just somehow it slipped past me. I, I saw them. I just wasn't into getting another book at the time, and now I really want to pick those up and catch up on them and see what they see what how much how much is new and how much is uh, adaptation. I watched the um, the pilot episode of uh, uh, White Collar tonight, trying to get my dad into something new, and that was a failure. But uh, <laughs> the, but the uh, the uh, main character of that. Uh, the thief in that, the con man in that, is uh, Negative Man. I looked up who he was. I'm like, oh shit, that's where I recognize him from. Yeah, the voice of Negative Man. Yeah. And, oh, and... okay, okay. All right, All Kirsten, right. what did you do this week? I watched WandaVision this afternoon. Had a tremendously good time watching that. That's very interesting, and it's going to be very interesting to see where it unfolds. Right, yeah. I'd rather I, binge it. it. Yeah, Does that's exactly work? what I was going to say. It really, really, I, I think it's getting some weird reaction because it really should be something you can binge all at once. The commercials for it just looks like it's really weird. It is. She's living a life that is being told in sitcom format. And she's going through various decades of uh, sitcom formats that's very familiar uh, like Dick Van Dyke show. Yeah. 
it even has like canned laughter and stuff. But there's something going on because each story involves an element of her understanding this is not normal and that there's something weird. Is she the only one that's aware of that? Uh, I mean, we don't need to spoil it, but I mean, okay. So either everyone else is in on it like a Truman show or they're not aware and she's the only one aware. Right. It's Wanda. It's Scarlet Witch. So I don't call it. And and actually nothing has been ascertained yet. Uh, Her whole thing is mind fuckery. That's how she was introduced to the to the universe. So my assumption is that there is some kind of mind fuckery going on. And this is this is, you know, uh, a comic book take of her trying to break out of it but nothing's been specifically said or anything well I, yeah or my first thought is that she's being attacked in some way and this is how she's protecting herself right she's using that these, could be it too yeah sure. like a defense that, mechanism that was kind of the oppression that i got watching the first two episodes that it feels like a defense mechanism of some sort yeah she yeah. has limited ability to control what's going around her like almost like a um uh, active dreaming where you you know you're in a dream you maybe can't control the whole narrative but you can influence certain things because i'll tell you the commercials didn't interest me much but now that i hear this i'm a little more interested it's also possible that she's gone mad and she's tried to create this little fantasy world because vision died oh so so she could be john cusack and identity where they just all live in a hotel all his personalities Mm -hmm. um okay i mean i'm not going to see it because i don't have disney plus but that's interesting i do think that this is the MCU's variant on the House of M. For And I won't go deep oh. into what that was because those that have read the comics will kind of know what I'm saying and those that haven't will be completely out of the loop on that. There's but a movie there, by that title too, isn't there? Uh, not, not a Marvel one, but it okay. is one of, the, one of the big come-togethers of all the Marvel Universe under one event that happened in the early aughts that kind of launched the really big ones later, like Civil War and so on. Well, Uh, Elizabeth Olsen did mention in one of the uh, pre-release interviews that much of what she was introduced to in this series by the writers was influenced by House of M. So it, It makes a lot of sense with some of the clues that they're dropping. And if so, it's very exciting. But, if, but even if it isn't, I'm sure that it's, it's, they're, they're going to have their own take on it. It won't be exactly House of M, uh, because the House of M ended with uh, almost all the mutants' powers being wiped out for good, except for like 900 of them. 200. I, I oh, looked was that 200? up recently. Oh, yeah. okay. 198. One, that's right. It was 198. Look, one mutant wow. is too many mutants. Let's just get down to the fact. Oh, listen to you. Whatever, Senator. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I have gills now. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, they've only released two episodes so far, so yeah. we really can't make hide nor hair of it. Truly, it it is obvious that once the whole thing is done, uh, there'll be a lot of people going back and rewatching it to catch all the things that they later pay off on. It's very David Lynchian. Okay, it's, so it's not meta. It's not like, hey, we're aware we're in a TV show. Because that's no. what the commercials made it look like. And I was like, I don't no. need Dan. I don't need Dan Harmon's take on, you know, <laughs> Scarlet Witch. No, I'd no. say it's more, by the way, of uh, 
uh, a primer for David Lynch who've never seen David Lynch. Right. Okay. You don't so, want to just start him with a racer head? Lynch light. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to start with a razor head. In heaven, everything is fine. Sadly, that's how I got introduced. To, well, not sadly, but that's how I got introduced to David Lynch. Right. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, up, up till now I'd say that probably Twin Peaks is your best introduction to David Lynch. Um, <laughs> now maybe WandaVision is your best introduction to David Lynch. Uh, Dune might be your safest bet too. Dune's not all that crazy. Long live the fighters. The spice must flow. Andy, what did you do this week? Like total fluke. I was I was watching something on my phone and video started popping up and uh, a video from the Aladdin live action came up. I'm like, oh yeah, I said I kind of wanted to watch that. And I watched it. Oh. And uh, it was much better than I expected. I really enjoyed it. They fixed a bunch of the plot holes from the uh, original animated one. Um, obviously Will Smith is never going to be able to replace Robin Williams. So you got to throw that out right out the window from the get go, but it makes more, it's more, it's more consistent world building in it. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's not, uh, because you don't have Robin Williams throwing in references from all over the place. It, it sort of doesn't have some weird potholes that the original did. And they fixed some of the, the weird unintentional racism. I mean, the, uh, the, uh, what do you mean? Instead of, uh, 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 it was intentional. Oh yeah, well you're right. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is Walt but, Disney. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no. I mean, like no, like even uh, uh, there's a line in uh, the Prince Ali the song. And it's dust off your Sunday salam. It's been changed to dust off your Friday salam because Sunday isn't a big thing right there. You know? Friday yeah. is the Sabbath. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Once you get past the fact that Will Smith is never going to be Robin Williams, I really enjoyed it. Um, Jafar is actually a, uh, a thief that have built himself back into the position of vizier. Jasmine has a handmaiden who's a very fun character. I do recommend it. It's, uh, I'd have no interest in watching any of the other, uh, live action Disney things. I don't know why it just seems dumb to me, but that one kind of piqued my interest. I think the only one of those I've watched was the, unfortunately it was the jungle book. Oh, uh, it was fun to hear Christopher Walken sing. The only one I've watched of those has been The Lion King. The Mufasa death scene is absolutely heartrending with what looks like live animals talking. Yeah, I bet. Oh, my God. I mean, it's it's powerful in the cartoon, but boy, in the live action, they aim for the heart. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Well, that was like I watched a movie not too long ago where it was the, the old standard, right? Hey, we're going to shoot two or three people. Nobody gives a damn. You shoot the dog and three people in the audience go, oh, my God. It's like, what the? Why? Why? I mean, I get it. We love dogs, but still. like. (laughs) So, yeah, I could see that being a little more powerful and real. Yeah. So, Jeff, what did you do this week? I watched Pixar's Soul. I found it quite enjoyable. I mean, there's obviously few Pixar films that I wouldn't recommend, but uh, I really enjoyed it. Stars Jamie Foxx as uh, a uh, basically a gig musician that is just totally into jazz. His name is Joe and uh, gets the opportunity of a lifetime to perform and then has an accident. And his soul winds up, winds up in what they're calling the before time where he kind of mentors a, uh, a soul that hasn't been to Earth yet while trying to find his way back. And the usual Pixar heart tugs that uh, go along with uh, those types of films. Uh, it's really enjoyable. 
And I, I don't want to say too much more because I have a feeling I would spoil some of the uh, the important parts of the film. But uh, highly recommend it. Um, it seems like a heavy subject matter. Is the movie as heavy as it sounds like it would be? Yeah, I mean, it has that good mix of heavy with the, the light moments that, that Pixar is known for. I've heard it compared to Inside Out for the level yes. of like, shit, we're dealing with some real shit here. This isn't necessarily just for kids. This right. is um, a, a more mature c- a cartoon. For, I, for I would say that's a fair comparison. In fact, I have yeah. come across a few reviews where they do compare it to, uh, to Inside Out. Yeah, I, I do feel like this one is definitely geared more towards an adult audience than I think Inside Out was. Well, I think they're trying to go that direction. I think they're they're saying let's embrace the fact that animation can be for adults as much as it can be for children. You know? Exactly. Which is cool. Without, without going heavy metal and putting titties in it. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, well, it's not 1972 or whenever the hell heavy metal came out. 80. <laughs> and then... I believe the composer for that movie is uh, Trent Reznor. Yeah, yeah, that shocked me in the credits. And I was like, Trent Reznor? So I went and looked it up. And yeah, he did. Uh, he, now, he didn't do all of the jazz composing. Uh, the majority of that was done by another gentleman whose name escapes me here. And yeah. I'll probably remember it when it's not important. John Batiste is the guy's name that did the oh, uh, yeah, from, jazz uh, competitions. From the Tonight Show or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. He did the jazz compositions, but like your your general score was Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Very entertaining movie. Um, definitely tugs at your heartstrings, as as a proper Pixar film should, but still leaves you with a smile on your face at the end. So definitely check it out if you've got Disney Plus. That's the only place it's available right now that I could find it anyway. Definitely worth checking out. All right. I also watched Bloodshot, which was a Vin Diesel film that premiered right before the lockdown, so it didn't really get much theater time. I did not see it um, in the theaters before they closed down. Uh, Based on the Valiant comic. They're trying to make it into a series. I don't necessarily know that it's going to wind up becoming a series. Do you mean franchise or series? I think they want to make it a franchise, but I think that maybe they would get two films out of it. I guess okay. is what I'm trying well, to say. Do you okay. do you mean do you mean franchise and that they're gonna? I mean, weren't they trying to create a Valiant universe? Uh, yes. It it does seem like that's part of it. The film itself is a fun no-brainer action film. Um, you don't really have um, to think Vin too Diesel? hard. Vin Diesel? I know. I right? never would have thought. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. After after that 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 heavy uh, deep head, look, the head scratcher of uh, of uh, Hobbs and Shaw. I don't know. He was. Don't get me wrong. He was great in terms of endearment, and I loved him in <laughs> On Golden Pond. But the shock to see that he might be doing an action film. <laughs> it's it's also on Netflix. It's a fun movie. I, I don't know enough about the comic to make a comparison, but it does seem like they were trying to make uh, at least a sequel out of this. Guy Pierce is in it. He's fantastic as this kind of tech guru who owns like this mega corporation that comes up with technology-based replacement limbs for soldiers who are injured in the war and so forth, which is how Diesel's character gets quote-unquote resurrected uh, with these little nanite things. If you don't think too hard about what's going on, it's a fun, enjoyable action film. So it's a good popcorn flick if you just want to relax and and enjoy something that isn't going to really make you think too hard or uh, 
be overly uh, emotional for you. Bloodshot. <laughs> Which I guess you could probably say about the whole Valiant line of comics anyway, so it sounds sure. like it's... They weren't no, exactly um, known for being super deep, were they? Archer and Armstrong was kind of deep. Archer and okay. Armstrong had some going on. So, Jeff, you basically did the yin and yang of watching. You watched Soul <laughs> and, and Bloodshot. Yeah, it, was a, it was a palate cleanser, you know. Which one? <laughs> uh, Bloodshot, because, you know, <laughs> you, go, you can only go on an emotional roller coaster for so long, and then you need, uh, you know, to just go on a, a nice fun ride, kind of like Autopia at Disneyland, you know, just kind of wind down and go, oh, okay. I feel you, Jeff, because I tell you what, this week... Uh, the tighter I squeeze, the more pinball scores slip through my fingers, gentlemen. <laughs> oh, my God. The, the, this, the pinball effects whack-a-mole is getting out, out of control. I, I, I can't keep a hold of my scores. Uh, you Jeff throw the gauntlet. You oh, threw dude. the gauntlet. Yeah, they threw it back at me this week. Uh, Jeff Harris took the top score on the ET table. I can't reach that. Uh, Punch Clops took the top score on the Invasion from Mars table. I haven't been able to touch that, and I still can't touch Leon Mitt's Medieval Madness score. I, I, I keep trying. But damn it. it good job, people. I, Put him I, in his place. Put him in his uh, place, yeah, people. I, 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 I still I'm have most say, of the yeah. scores. I still have most of the scores, but man, I'm losing them. I'm losing them. <laughs> of course, it didn't help that this week, uh, Gamefly sent me Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, no. The infamous broken game. I, I, I had to try it for myself. And I got to say, gentlemen, this game is really, really good. What was it? Oh, my wow. goodness. Once they get this thing fixed they might have another Witcher 3 on their hands. It's too bad they released it so broken. So yeah. you, the, the version you played is broken? Yeah, oh, yes. My, my, I'm playing it on a PS4. I, I'm, uh, I'm one of the most broken versions they released. And even uh, they, through all of that, this uh, game's they, amazing. Yes, they, they have patched it some, and there are more patches to come. And yes, it is very frustrating when the game crashes quite frequently to and you have to restart it but it saves so often you don't lose a whole lot uh but again i'm playing this on a ps4 not in the new systems so load times are a bit long every now and then you get that wonderful glitch that that weird glitch where somebody is floating seven feet above the person they're talking to yeah, or 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 my my favorite one is when i got into an elevator uh, with a, a, a guard that I, I had uh, uh, knocked out, and he kept bouncing in the elevator like and, and like higher every time, as if he was on some <laughs> kind of supernatural trampoline. Yeah, it's it's no, it's, he was just trying to do that thing in the elevator where you jump right before you get to the bottom. He was just trying it, to do that. That's all. He was making it work. I've never been able to work make it work that good. It's full of those bugs. Uh, and I am not a huge fan of the cyberpunk genre really much at all. I've, I've, I've got some tenuous connection to it. I've played some cyberpunk RPG, which is what this is based on. This game is based on that classic tabletop RPG. Uh, CD Projekt Red is basically doing for the cyberpunk uh, role-playing game 
as they did with The Witcher. Barely anybody knew what The Witcher was until they started making games about it. And now they're kind of bringing cyberpunk, that old game, back. So it's huh. it's a world where the governments have fallen and the the corporations have now are now running the world and are at war with one another and and yeah. But that it has that, that open narrative where you can kind of be the dude that you want to be as good or as bad and there's but the thorough story that I really don't want to spoil. I knew <laughs> I knew that I was in for a fucking hell of a ride when I was nine hours into the game and I was completely emotionally immersed at that point and then it turned a heavy switch and said nope this is what the game is now and then gave me the title screen whoa yeah I got the title screen of the game about eight to nine hours in that's crazy So ah. it's it's huge. The game is massive. They they've they've worked a whole lot of this. And anybody will tell you in those massive open world games, the the Bethesda games, they there's lots of bugs when they release them. They're all that way. It's too bad that this this one needed to simmer probably another six months before they released it. And now they're paying the price for it. I mean, even the Are Polish th- government is starting to uh, get down on them with uh, threats of fines for it. Wow. I mean, are they actually paying the price for it yet? Or yes. is it just Yeah, okay. uh, you can't you can't buy this on the PlayStation Store. If you want to buy it digitally, you still can't. It's been removed from the store. I the only reason I can play it is because they was sent a disc from Gamefly. Interesting. That's good. Didn't I don't some think stores that... also pull copies off the shelf as well, Todd. Uh, some did and a lot of them are offering refunds. But yeah. tell you what people, uh, go let this game simmer for a while. Let them tinker and fix it like they should have done before release they'll get there they've promised free dlc down the line and so on as an apology and and trust me there's room to apologize but if you are into the cyberpunk genre and like open world rpgs that's a lot of action to them and frankly if you want a science fiction game that's as heavy as witcher 3 was this is your game, most likely. That's surprising after what you had said about it, what, a week or two ago about the bugs and everything? That's surprising. But I would usually play Cyberpunk 2077 until it crashed, and then I'd play some more pinball. <laughs> so, so it worked out. <laughs> so that was your palate cleanser. Well, let's put it this way. Either it's crashing made me angry, so I played pinball, or my frustration of playing pinball got so intense that I had to play Cyberpunk. So it kind of went back and forth. <laughs> Hey, uh, Todd, (laughs) since you mentioned pinball, if I may. Please, um, yes, please, Jeff, please bring this up. The Pinball Hall of Fame is currently running a GoFundMe for their new location. They're committed to it because they don't have a lease going forward on their old location. This is an institution that just is really fantastic. You're talking a lot of your classic pinball machines from the early days of pinball all the way up to modern uh, games. And pretty much everyone there works there for free. They really go through a lot to make sure that these games are available for the public to play. So if anybody out there has any interest in that, or if you can donate, please go donate to the Pinball Hall of Fame GoFundMe. If you feel weird about donating to get a 
business back up on its feet. Uh, it is a nonprofit, and yes. once they're back on their feet, they'll be donating again because that's what they do. They they all the profits go back into donating money to various charities. Yeah, they have donated millions of dollars over the the their existence to charities. So if you've been to the old one, it was a nice space, but it was a little small for yes. what yep. they were trying to do. This new one is gargantuan. Yeah, and something I like think, three times what their yeah, old space was. I, they're talking now, about having like a thousand or two thousand games in there or something crazy like that. I mean, it's going to be truly impressive. Adam, were you here for the when they because this is actually their second location they were in right now. Were you, were you there when they're they're, they're, they're they're going to their third now? Third. Yes, exactly. They're going to their third. Uh, I the one I saw was used to be just down the road from uh, Todd and Jeff's place. Yeah, they both were. the 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 original location was right next to the uh, two dollar theater. The one I was at was kind of across the street from the old Liberace. Yeah, and that okay. was way bigger than their original location. Yeah. Their original location, I don't know how they got so many pinball machines in there because it was not a very big space. I, I actually went to because before that even. Uh, he just had a warehouse behind his house where he was storing a bunch of machines and he would open it up for charity fundraisers. Yeah, you knew why he had to open up the space because you were in a warehouse. I mean, there were yeah. partially dismantled machines laying all over. You kind of had to, they would clean it up a little bit. You, you felt like you were stepping over broken machines to get the good ones. Like many businesses, COVID has put them in between a rock and a hard place. They need 200000 uh, total. And according to Jeff, there's about, what, 42000 that they've brought yes. in thus far. In three days. So they're on their way. But okay. even if you can't donate, please at least just share uh, either through social media the, the fact that they have this GoFundMe because this is something that's very important in not only just pinball history but video game history that needs to be available for future generations to be able to go to 80s and you post you posted that video on the uh, shock monkey's lair right yes i did yeah. we were talking to jeff harris yesterday and he said that he and jessica when they come to vegas it's always their first stop oh, i know nice. several people that it's their first stop it's it's an incredible place it still amazes me to this day that they're able to keep some of these games working because number one many of those parts aren't made anymore a lot of those they cannibalize parts from other machines that are beyond repair and in some cases they make parts themselves from scratch just to keep they're these also, things working yeah they're also 3d printing parts now i think yes i have heard that as well uh but most importantly it's a fun place to go and selfishly it's one of my favorite things in town so right. i want to see it continue on a personal level so as a personal favor to me and those of us here on geek shock if you could contribute uh that would be awesome well i remember we would often after recording the show go over and play for a yep. while that was a lot of fun yep. when the covid restrictions and everything is fine and everyone's vaccinated it is one of the first places i would want to go here, here. And I wanted to be there when it all happened, so please help. Another thing I did uh, this week was I actually did something that if you told me five years ago I would be doing, I would have laughed in your face, and that was I watched Critical Role uh, today. Nice. Uh, and I never thought I would watch people play D&D. &D. It just seems crazy, but that show is fun and entertaining, and uh, it was a good episode this week. There was some really interesting stuff that happened. Uh, I know you can't really... There's a lot of spoiler things if people are into that show, so I don't know if people are keeping up with it. But 
the things that work in that show are not only just because they are voice actors and actors, so they understand entertaining people and how, what their responsibilities to that, but they're also really good gamers. I mean, I would say yeah. all of them are are good at playing that game because I've seen some other podcasts and <laughs> such of. And I appreciate the four guys in their basement who have no idea what it is to entertain people that are playing the game. There is something to appreciate about that. But there's also something to say for, oh, here's people that actually know how to tell a story. And they're all working together to tell the same story. <laughs> okay, do they, do they archive those? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you can get them, yeah. you can get them all on yeah. YouTube. So uh, yeah, what's, what's it's, that it's, actress's it's, name, the one who played Karen Page? Ashley Johnson. Uh, Deborah Wall. Deborah Wall. Yeah, she's I, not in Critical Role. She has another well, one, right? I think. Yeah, she's 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 a, she's a part of the board game geek thing that they yes. that they put on. Yeah. She's done yeah, some. She's, oh, okay. But didn't she do a? Didn't she sit down on, on one one game in Critical Role and was pretty amazing? She might have. They've had a couple of guests over the years. Yeah, I think I think she did, and she was she was she was like. She was a magic user, and she was actually describing how she was doing the spells and stuff, and really. Setting. Oh yeah, yeah. She was. Yeah, it was really fun the way she did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she, yeah, but she's also a regular on uh, the YouTube sh- uh, show Game Night. Mm. Yeah, Game Night. Yeah, I watched a lot yeah. of that when I had the store. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yeah. She I apparently still go to bed been, had been DMing uh, for a very, very long time. And they were just like, originally, they were just like, hey, you should, you should get a game up, you know, before Twitch and, and like on uh, yeah. Geek and Sundry. And that was before D&D exploded. So she was a little gun shy. She was like, I think I'd rather keep that kind of private. But after Critical Role exploded, she's like, okay, I think I will yeah. step up. Yeah, I th- they have every episode of Critical Role on YouTube. And I don't have Twitch, so that's where I watch it. So that's why I watched it today instead right. of live on Thursday. Yeah, it was like Acquisitions Incorporated was kind of the first online podcast D&D thing. And then uh, a Critical Role came along. Then all of a sudden people are like, ooh, Vin Diesel plays too. Who cares? But yeah, those, those Acquisitions and Critical Role were really the two that were responsible for the whole D&D podcast thing becoming a thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Nerd Poker. Nerd Poker is also a good one. That's uh, Brian Posehn's one. Oh, I haven't listened to it, but I've heard about it. Yeah. I mean, that guy's pretty funny yeah. I, uh, and yeah. clever. So I, His thing is a bunch of comedians it. doing it, so it's, yeah. it leans more into that. I'm sure there's a lot more fart jokes, but who doesn't like a good fart joke? Right! Huh? <laughs> All right, gentlemen, we got some news to get to, so let's go ahead and do it and do some news you don't give a shit about. <laughs> Aren't you glad you joined us, Captain? I, yes, <laughs> I, I, witness it I, have, I tell you, it is. Even when I was on the show back in the days, this category has always befuddled me. Mm-hmm. Because I'm amazed at how often I give a shit about the stuff in this category. And I don't give a shit about the stuff in Nick We Can Geek. But please continue. <laughs> well, there's only one this week. And ah. it's, been, it's been a while since we've had a weird news segment. Uh, but here oh. goes. A man who brewed a mushroom concoction that uh. he injected into his veins 
got him rushed to the ICU with life-threatening microbi- microbial and fungal infections. Imagine you that. Think. See, now just hold on. See, already I give a shit about this. <laughs> <laughs> this is interesting. This is fascinating. Yeah. The, the man injected magic mushrooms into himself. Yes. It turned out the spores in his blood had started to grow into actual mushrooms. And his organs were starting to fail by the time he got to the hospital because the mushrooms growing inside of him started feeding off of his body. What? That's what funguses do. (laughs) Talk about a fungus among us. The 30-year-old man who only wants to identify as Mr. X, I can't imagine why. (laughs) Because he has superpowers now. (laughs) had ditched his prescriptions in favor of trying to medicate himself. Uh, Mr. X pulled through after 22 days in the hospital, eight of those spent in the ER, with an intense course of medication that, of course, included heavy antibiotics and, imagine that, antifungal drugs. So, yes, basically mushrooms started growing on every internal organ that his blood could reach. That might be the worst X-Man power ever. Right? <laughs> I am so glad that we have a large segment of the population that has earned their social media medical degrees now. <laughs> and how God did he not call himself it. Mr. M? He can, well, you call yourself yes. Mr. M. Come right? on, Mr. X. Or just the fun guy. <laughs> hey, yo! Uh, so, yeah. So, we, uh, so thank Mr. Uh, Mr. X for doing it so you don't have to. Uh, he, he was trying to treat his bipolar disorder symptoms. Of, of, among other things, but yes. Yeah. Holy crap. Oh, man, that's hilarious. I mean, that's terrible. It's unfortunate that human being almost died, but that's hilarious. Yes. I used to be depressed, but now I'm a fun guy. Yay. Yeah. Yay, we reused it. Wow. Um, we're recycling. We're good. <laughs> wow, that's crazy, though. I, I would never have guessed that that would happen. You're right. I mean, you, there is the whole thing. If you inject it, chances are it's not going to go good. But to the but point would, that your body becomes a mushroom forest. I mean, that's like because, you know, the whole thing, like if you swallow a watermelon seed, a watermelon will grow in your stomach. Like that's kind of bullshit. But this feels like that kind of bullshit. But it's <laughs> apparently it's not. Well, the human immune system has always had a problem with uh, attacking fungal infections. It just fungi can grow anywhere as long as there's Apparently. you know moisture and a food source. We we, we are nothing if not moisture and food source. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which was my band's name in the eighties. <laughs> and that was a cover band for Andy. I, I, what was the phrase that we, we jumped, we jumped around a little here? Moisture and a food we, source. We did Simon and Garfunkel. Moisture and a food okay. source. Uh, wow, that's a tough one. Moisture and a food source. Uh, 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 cake. I don't know. Cake is good. Cake is actually pretty good, actually. That's not There's bad. Yeah, it's not, not bad. bad. I prefer pie. <laughs> was there a band called Pie? I might have gone with Wet, 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 but other than that. There was a band called Cake? Yes. She's going the distance. You know them. <laughs> I know that girl. Yeah, I know her. <laughs> he's No, he's going the distance. Sh- song's called The Distance. It's got that wonderful <laughs> crying trumpet in it. Mm-hmm. They also did the uh, the theme song for Chuck. Right. Oh, did they? And I they, didn't realize well, that. Well, I mean, it was a reworking of their song, Short Skirt and a Long Jacket. Uh, it uh, has yeah, that's name. it. That's the name. 
Chuck was known for wearing a short skirt and a long jacket. Mm-hmm. Oh, but his girlfriend was. Hey, hey. And that brings us to Weekend Geek. Yay! Woo! Peter Dinklage is set to star in Legendary's Legendary Pictures update of the 1984 superhero splatter comedy classic, The Toxic Avenger. The oh, new movie. Really? Yeah, the new movie will be a modern day reimagining of the trauma hit, reportedly subverting the superhero in the satirical manner taken by the uh, 2016 Deadpool film, while also dealing with environmental themes. Dinklage will play the titular character, a bullied everyman who falls into a vat of toxic waste while trying to escape his tormentors and is transformed by the chemicals into a hideous looking creature otherwise known as the Toxic Avenger. Using his superhuman size and the mutant strength he has acquired, Toxie takes bloody revenge on the goons who wronged him. Making a new home for himself in a junkyard, he ends up cleaning up Tromaville from the criminals running rampant through town, becoming a vigilante hero its citizens need. Director Lloyd Kaufman's original film was a surprise success, so much so that it spawned a franchise that included three Toxic Avenger sequels, Toxic Avenger Part 2, Avenger Part 3, The Last Temptation of Toxie, and Citizen Toxie, Toxic Adventure 4, which featured opening narration from Stan Lee, interestingly enough, a stage stage musical, and a (laughs) short-lived cartoon series for kids called The Toxic Crusaders. Macon Blair, who helmed Netflix, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, will write and direct the reboot. Kaufman and Co-Troma founder Michael Hertz are on board to produce. So, not only is Toxic Avenger getting made, it's getting made under the Legendary Picture Banner. And Legendary is... That's pretty good. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's like Lionsgate level stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Weird. I never and, saw the cartoon. I mean, I was aware of its existence, but I never got to see any episodes. I, I'll admit, I've only seen the first you know, Toxic Avenger. And I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. You know, it was super low budget, so it looked like it was going to be crap. And it, it kind of works for the story, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, if that's, trauma that's being trauma. That's Dinklage's, yeah. what, third superhero movie? Uh, Dinklage has not had the, the greatest post-Game of Thrones track record oh, as, no, far he really, as roles that he's taken on. Well, we did was, Underdog what, before that. He was in Pixels. Yeah. Uh, uh, he, uh, he was in that uh, LARPing comedy. That was okay. Knights of Badassdom. That's it. Knights of Badassdom. I didn't uh, see it was that. all right. But he's a good actor. And yeah, he is. Oh, yeah, he's top so he deserves yeah. better. However, I'll, I'll gladly watch him in Toxic Avenger. Sure. Yeah. He was also in X-Men Days of Future Past, right? That's this is that that makes it the fourth one. That's great. Yeah. Sure. And he and also Ragnarok or Infinity something or other or one of those he movies. Played, he played a giant in one yes. of the in, uh, one of the Avengers movies. It was in Infinity uh, War. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was the guy that ran the Forge, Petri right? the Dwarf. Yes. And he was Simon Bar Sinister and Underdog. Oi. Yes. Crowning a role? Um, I'm sure he puts that at the top of his resume. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I'm, I'm glad he's working. I, I hope this movie 
I haven't seen I Don't Feel at Home in This World anymore, but it looks like a good show. Uh, yeah, I've heard good things about it, but I haven't had a chance to see it either. So yeah, I hope it takes off and it's wonderful and they make many more sequels. Tox- Toxie, may you never die. Wasn't like one of the first things at the end was like an art thing, like a, the station master or something? Yeah, I think it was like a oh, station agent. It was like a highfalutin film in 2003. Yeah. Not highfalutin, it's just a quiet drama. An an indie, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a nice movie, actually. Station Agent is good. Yeah. Well, they obviously cast him on Game of Thrones from something that had some teeth to it as far as acting goes. Mm -hmm. Because Lord knows if they did casting after Pixels and Knights of Badassdom, I don't know if he would have had that. Right. Although, got got to admit, especially as bad as Pixels is, it was probably fun to make. So, so he, I mean, I, I the man clearly that. has talent. I mean, everything I've seen him in, he's not phoning it in. Uh, next up, in a surprise announcement, Bethesda Games revealed its next project is a new Indiana Jones adventure developed by Wolfenstein Studio Machine Games and produced in collaboration with the just-launched Lucasfilm Games Division. Under the supervision of executive producer Todd Howard at Bethesda, he was executive producer of the uh, Fallout games and also the Elder Scrolls series. The news was revealed via teaser trailer posted to Bethesda's social media accounts and shows us a table covered with various items, including some books on forbidden stones and ancient circles, a a journal that looks like one that used to belong to Dr. Henry Jones, a ticket for Rome, a map of a structure, a typewriter, and finally the iconic fedora and bullwhip. The studio revealed the new game will feature, quote, a wholly original standalone tale set at the height of the career of the famed adventurer, unquote. It's new Indiana Jones, and I'm happy for any new Indiana Jones. And I keep getting disappointed when it comes, but I'm eternally optimistic. Well, I mean, the, the pedigree behind this one, it has promise. Because those Wolfenstein games were fun, and the studio yeah. that put them together did a great job. So, fingers crossed. <laughs> I'm happy for a Dr. Jones story. That's all it comes down to. When the Nathan Drake games came out, that's what they were. Surrogates for Dr. Jones and good ones at that. Yep. Uh, the, the Tomb Raider stuff, same thing. Uh, yeah. They've tried releasing novels way back when they released a whole bunch of them, and they had varying quality. They tried doing that again with uh, Indiana Jones and the Army of the Dead. Buh, skip it. It's terrible. How dare they try to relaunch a whole series of books with that? Mm. And, of course, Crystal Skull was uh, uh, quite the disappointment overall. So I'm happy to get any kind of Jones that might have a chance of being good. Even I'm jonesing for a good Jones story. Thank you. Yes. Yes, I am. I rewatched Crystal Skull, I think last year, and it's got some sequences that are really good, but oh, overall, wow. Sure, you could pick out 20 minutes of a good movie out of that film. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. That, that chase, the chase scene, amazing. Chase scene's fantastic. Yeah. You but, mean the chase scene through the college um, not chasing yeah. through the jungle chasing yeah, chase. through the college the stuff in the warehouse and near the beginning mm-hmm. is fun it's there's a lot of fun stuff in that movie it's just it also has some weird kind of weird stuff too that just doesn't quite work nuke the fridge 
Ah, that's the least of the. I mean, whatever. <laughs> yeah. he's, I mean, he's fallen out of a plane in a fucking life raft and survived somehow, and right, then right. throws a life raft <laughs> down the side of a mountain. Yeah, you know, like uh, that's almost just as preposterous. So yep. that part, you know, what I mean, like there's there's plenty of ridiculous Indiana Jones moments in pretty much right. every Indiana Jones movie. It just doesn't quite work. Yeah, it doesn't, and. I don't know if it's the change of setting as, as part of the issue. And of course that's the writing and the, 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 the friend who is a double agent who no one knows anything about at the beginning or end of that movie. There's a lot of issues. Indy seems to work best when he's, uh, chasing religion to stop Nazis. Yes. Yeah. And unfortunately uh, because of age, they had to change the villains that didn't quite work as well. Right. Who are they chasing after? Who's the, uh, the older guy they're chasing after in that um, John Hurt. Yes, I, th- I think that John Hurt was a, in the, in the early drafts. I'm sure that was supposed to be Sean Connery as his dad. I'm not sure it would have made it any better, but perhaps. No, but I mean, yeah, it, it seemed like an odd. Well, who's this character? Oh, yeah. There was a lot of oh, who's this character in that movie? Right, right. <laughs> I believe that was the original title. Indiana Jones, <laughs> who's this character? <laughs> the search for characters. Indiana Jones. <laughs> After taking a break from directing for 17 years, John McTiernan, director of the original Predator and Die Hard, is heading back to filmmaking with a film called Tau Seti, a sci-fi action film starring Uma Thurman and Travis Fimmel, who Travis Fimmel, if you're not familiar, was in Vikings. Uh, Production should begin after the pandemic dies down. The last film that Tiernan made was Basic, uh, the film called Basic, not my assessment, starring John Travolta in 2003. So John McTiernan is returning to the director's chair. Wow. He hasn't done anything for 17 years, huh? Yeah. Interesting. I wonder what brought him back. Predator and Die Hard. I mean, that's... I mean, if Mad Max Fury Road is any example of somebody coming back after a long hiatus, hiatus bring it on. Right? Well, how long was that gap? I, I feel like he hadn't done anything for a long time prior to Fury Road, but I could be wrong. Well, he did Babe. I remember that was like a weird thing. that the. Yeah, but that was 20, 30 years <laughs> prior to... That's just proving my point, fact. Right. <laughs> uh, happy Feet 2. And Happy Feet One, and those were really early, those were that's 2006 and 2011. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Fury Road is 2015. So I guess I was wrong. Are we looking specifically <laughs> at directing for for uh, for George Miller, or are we looking, you know, anything that he did? I was Direct- just thinking directing. Yeah. Oh, okay. But he he hadn't done anything like Fury Road in a long time. But John McTiernan. <laughs> Not only coming back, but coming back to make a sci-fi action film. Yay. I'll, I'll take it. Bring it yes, on. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, of course, we can't go a week without uh, losing some people. So uh, let's go into that segment and honor those we've lost. Uh, first off, actor Peter Mark Richman has died. He was 93. He performed in over 150 film and television productions. Uh, One role was for the Neutral Zone episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, where he played Ralph Offenhaus, the man who was cryogenically frozen in 94 and awoken hundreds of years later by the USS Enterprise-D. His other works include roles on Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, 
The Man from Uncle, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, The Six Million Dollar Man, Wonder Woman, Charlie's Angels, The Incredible Hulk, Fantasy Island, Galactica 1980, and Knight Rider. Richmond also played Charles McCullough, one of the bad guys in 1989's Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Uh, later on his, in his career, Richmond moved into voice work. He also had several roles on Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series. He also voiced old Peter Parker in Spider-Man the Animated Series. Uh, Richmond is arguably best known for some of his recurring roles on television, especially playing Reverend Snow on Three's Company and Lawrence Carson on Beverly Hills 90210. He is one of those actors that he's such a distinguished uh, looking individual, you you recognize him even though you might not know his name. And anytime you see him, he he knocks it out of the park, whatever role he takes on. Also for Vegas peeps, we also lost Siegfried Fichtbacher, the um, yeah, stage yeah. magician, best known as one half of legendary Las Vegas duo Siegfried and Roy. Siegfried and Roy. He died. He was uh, 81. His death came just months after his longtime life and work partner, Roy Horn, died in May after contracting COVID-19. Siegfried and Roy first met in 1957 while working together on a cruise ship. The two bonded over discussions about breaking the barriers of ordinary illusions and what would become the signature of their act developed when Horn asked Fischbacher if he could make a cheetah disappear only to then reveal that he'd smuggled a cheetah onto the ship with oh. them. <laughs> I didn't know that part. Oh, that's oh yeah, that's, that's <laughs> one of the classic stories. That's a great story. Awesome. A decade later, the pair arrived in Vegas where they performed side acts at the Stardust and the MGM Grand before landing their first headlining show, which ran for nearly a decade at the Frontier. Steve Wynn offered the pair a custom-built theater at his new, then-new casino, The Mirage, the show opened in 1990 and remained one of the most popular and celebrated acts in Las Vegas for more than 10 years and nearly 6,000 performances. Of course, the show did come to an abrupt end in 2003 when Horn was severely injured by one of the Tigers. The circle is complete. We have now lost Siegfried with Roy. I have an interesting connection with Siegfried and Roy in that when I was doing Pumbaa in The Lion King, my dresser was their dresser when they were doing their show and he actually like hung out at their house and knew the cats and like hung out with the big cats and everything. And so he told me the story of the event of the, the cat grabbing him. And what the deal was, was that he, the, uh, who is it? Roy that was attacked. I can never remember. Yes. Was it yes. Roy. Roy was actually on stage and actually had a stroke on stage and was like in trouble. And like fell, and the cat was actually grabbing him to help him not fall into the audience and save his life because the cat could tell something was wrong. Um, So the whole perception that the cat attacked him was all wrong. But then the fascinating thing he said was they got him backstage, and then the cat was kind of panicking, didn't know what to do, so wouldn't let go. So my my uh, Neil, my dresser, said so he did what he was told to do in that situation: you grab the the tiger's tail and yank on it real hard. And then they'll let go of whatever's in their mouth. Wait, the dresser did that? Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. And that's how. Like, Holy shit. I was, yeah, I was that... always amazed that like, that's the real story. And yet everybody talks about how the cat attacked him. Well, you know. and that's, that's 
kind of the way they spun it, but nobody's sure what the real story is. He may have had the stroke after his bitten, or he may have, yeah. But I mean, either way, they were they were good for the city. They were good for the community. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, they also are responsible for helping transform Vegas because they were the first earn a profit show, a big earn a profit show that had residency. That actually. The whole idea of, of like a show doesn't need to make a profit was no longer a thing. Right. It's, it, they don't, it doesn't have to be a comp or a loss leader. Got it. And uh, that was, a, I mean, needless to say, that was proving that that could work was extremely transformative. Yes. For Las Vegas. Not necessarily a good transformation. Not necessarily, but, yeah. you know, depending. I, I think there were some good shows that didn't happen because they wouldn't have been profitable or some shows mm. that left too early because they weren't profitable enough, but I think would probably still be good loss leaders, you know? Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, the, the loss, if, if you'll excuse the uh, pun, the loss of the loss leader is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it hurts a little bit. Yeah. When I first moved to Vegas, there were, it was still, there were still lounge jacks. I mean, they were still lounge jacks for 10 years while I was there. And they yeah. just faded away. But I mean, when I first got there, you could go to any casino at three in the morning and see somebody playing on that stage, playing their heart out. Uh, my understanding is that that Siegfried and Roy were also big supporters of Alzheimer's charities as well as several children's charities. Um, I do recall reading that they would do private tours of their their home and their own personal animal habitat for for young children. So yep. they they did a lot for not just the city, but the community and surrounding communities. Right. Even after Roy was in a wheelchair, they would they would do the AIDS walk every year. Yes. Yeah. And at Oktoberfest, they were always there at the Hofbra House to tap the ceremonial keg. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, we honor them, and, and they they will definitely be missed. Yeah. Is there a road? I know, I know that Roy has a road named after him. I can't remember if Siegfried does. Uh, I think there's a Siegfried and Roy. I think it's the road that pulls in the Mirage. That would well, make think, sense. I there's just believe there's also an access road, Todd, off of uh, the 215 on the west side of town. That is, uh, it's like Roy Horn Way or something yes. like that. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, so don't be surprised if there's a Siegfried road before long. A film called Crazy Samurai 400 versus 1 is coming mm. from Japanese martial arts icon Tak Sakaguchi. He did uh, Versus and Rise of the Machine Girl. And the movie will feature a 77-minute single-take action scene. The press release says, quote, The highlight of this extraordinary film is a 77-minute action sequence shot in one continuous take, a marathon battle that rivals any ever filmed, director Yuji Shomonmura said. He also directed Death Trance and Reborn. The director has crafted an epic achievement in action choreography around Sakaguchi, who plays Japan's most legendary swordsman, Miyamoto Musashi. Musashi. Uh, yeah, Musashi. He was... Uh, what, born in 1584, died in 1645. Uh, warrior, Killed in the bar when he was only three. Yes, that's the one. A warrior <laughs> undefeated in at least 60 documented duels. 
as he takes on his most difficult battle, unquote. As far as the plot of the film goes, the synopsis reads, when a master samurai arrives to duel the disgraced Yoshioka Dojo, he walks into an ambush in a stunning one-take action film sequence. Miyamoto Musashi fights for his life against 400 warriors and earning a place in history as the Crazy Samurai Musashi, unquote. Crazy Samurai 400 versus 1 has a runtime of 92 minutes. <laughs> wow. So, 20 yeah. minutes to get to the fight, and then the rest of it's in one take. That's crazy. <laughs> and it will debut on the martial arts streaming channel Haya on February 12th. And just be- that's just before its digital Blu-ray and DVD drop on March 2nd. All right, so I have to speak as the, you know, the closed-minded white American. You kept n- naming all these other movies you directed. I haven't heard of any of them. Uh, the only one I'm familiar with is Versus. Uh, Versus is very well known in uh, samurai action films. Sure. The rest I have not seen, but uh, okay. based on Versus alone, I can tell you this is going to be something to watch. Ooh. Okay. Speaking of something to watch, I did catch a couple weeks ago about uh, 30 minutes to an hour of Destroy All the Monsters. Have you seen that one, Kay? Mm-hmm. I figured you had. We have a channel here called Comet, and they were showing all of the old Godzillas. I thought of you as that one came on. I was like, oh. oh yeah. <laughs> that's a favorite. That, that's like the Avengers of the monster movies, right? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy weird. But, yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> that, that's one of the funny things about it. It's like, it's not just monsters. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's a really fucked up, weird little journey. And yeah. Uh-huh. And finally, John Wick creator and screenwriter Derek Kolstad is reportedly writing for a live action D&D series from Hasbro and E1. Paramount teamed up with Hasbro to bring a previously announced Dungeons and Dragons adaptation to film. Uh, that project has cast Chris Pine and is set to begin filming later this year. The Kolstad-led TV project apparently isn't the only one that E1 is has in the works, uh, with the company actively pursuing, quote, multiple writers to develop various projects framed within the D&D world. Uh, Hasbro CEO Brian Goldner's recent earning report uh, reports that the game franchise has enjoyed a sales increase of 20% since 2019. Colstad's also writing Marvel's The Falcon and Winter Soldier for Disney+, Plus, which is set to debut in March. He also co-created the Die Hard comedy action series on the now-defunct Quibi platform. Uh, no early word on which platform Colstad's live-action D&D series could land, nor is there any casting or a premiere date, of course. It is in the works. So not only are we getting a D&D film, they are working on a at least one, if not more, D&D projects, one from the John Wick creator. Mm. Uh, you don't seem too uh, impressed, Kay. That, that, well, that was, that was kind not, of a meh. I'm not hearing what I really want to hear. I think that the D&D IP, one of the problems that you had with the original D&D movie is that the real ip is actually the settings the campaign worlds a DD movie will be like a bog standard fantasy movie because D in itself has kind of a st- 
established what bog standard fantasy is. Dungeon crawl, just a, a generic adventure and fantasy. It, it okay. has just a generic, just a generic boilerplate fantasy movie. Yeah. And the real IP for for D and D is in Planescape, Dark Sun, Dragonlance. You know, or even uh, if, or even if the movie was like, "Hey, Curse of Strahd," I'd be a little more interested because now exactly. I know, you know, or if we were doing the giant, the King's Thunder, and if they were like, "Oh, sure. okay," or even Baldur's Gate or Waterdeep, if they were putting it in some thing that we knew of and and could grasp, they might make a a big tentpole fantasy full of effects and interesting stuff, but except for maybe an appearance by a beholder or an illithid, it's really just going to be a fantasy movie unless they tap their IP. And I'm not hearing that in any of these announcements whatsoever. And I just think that's a mistake. I agree. I think that was the problem with the old one. They thought just the idea of, oh, people getting to create a... We already create the worlds ourselves at home, so you need to give us something far more interesting and specific than just generic... Dungeons. Well, and I'm also thinking beyond D&D fans. It's yeah. like, okay, maybe people will go see a D&D movie that is just, let's all, let's band together and rescue a princess or, or steal a magic MacGuffin. But I, I really think that to make D&D its own thing, to be interesting and to be truly creative... They really should focus on their IP in terms of the settings and stuff. Also, calling it D&D is going to turn a lot of people off. Maybe. Where if you just said Journey to Avernus, they'd be like, oh, what's Mm -hmm. this? And then they saw it was a sword and sorcery dealing with demons and fighting the evil. Then they'd be like, oh, cool. And then afterwards, they'd be like, what was this based on? Oh, it was based on D&D? Oh, D&D might be kind of cool, you know? So. Also, if you call it a Dungeons and Dragons movie, are you required to put Dungeons and Dragons in it? Because otherwise, it's a little weird. That's the other thing. It's just it's th- there are elements about it that just you know I don't think they're tapping the real creative uh, IP aspect of Dungeons and Dragons. So I mean, that's, I mean that's you know, that's the standard joke, right? We play Dungeons and Dragons, and 90% of the time, we're not in a dungeon, and there are no dragons. <laughs> right. In the old days, there was a lot of dungeon crawl. I remember that. Yeah, but yeah. Rarely did we run into a dragon, because we, we never got that high level. No, because uh, it kick your ass. So, you have a you make a movie, and there's a fighter, and, and uh, a generic fighter, and the charming rogue, and um, a wizard uh, who, who knows a few spells. And maybe some healing type of holy person. That is your standard D&D adventuring party. But that's actually become a rather standard fantasy trope. What are you doing that's D&D? And I think their setting IP is really what they should be doing. And I'm just not hearing that in any of these announcements. I love Chris Pine. You know, I'll wa- I, and I'm going to watch all these movies. But right now, I'm a little disheartened because I'm not hearing plans to exploit what I think really makes D&D what it is. And that's the, the, the campaign settings. If you're doing a, a series, you can get away with it a little bit more because, all right, we start with generic four characters, right? 
And as they encounter more and more challenging creatures, we start to see who they are as they grow, right? Right. That's like running a campaign. And so I always thought it would work better as a television show than a movie. Sure. Uh, Luddite, I was very happy to hear TV series because I think yeah. that's really the way they should go. And it's like, shit, you guys just do. I mean, you've got it right there. You do Sigil. You just do Planescape and you can go anywhere and do anything. I don't think you jump into ground four with Planescape. I think that's several seasons on the line. But yeah. I mean, hell, if it were me, I would just say, all right, we're going to get these four or five, six characters. And we're going to go through each campaign that we've done already, that the players have already played, right? And start with the very first one, the Tiamat. Maybe do it better than the book did it, because it's a little long and boring in the book. But you could make it a little better, <laughs> right? And then you just follow those characters. You have a franchise right there. You're in that uh, world exactly. about. You can just keep doing that. And those characters can just keep moving from adventure to adventure to adventure and dealing with all those different mm -hmm. things. If it starts in a tavern in Waterdeep, you have my attention. <laughs> yes. If it's in the Forgotten Realms, and if they do yeah. the tavern, the tavern riff, that would be fun. You sure. Know. Let's be honest, Todd. You're not going to be happy unless it's a five-barred party. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Everybody <laughs> knows that nothing brings a party together like the singing song stylings of a wonderful bard. Allow me to bring you into my party. His we'll party. go down the great pit into Wonder Mountain and die. Wonder Mountain and die. <laughs> Todd, I actually, as a side note, uh, in the D&D &D game that uh, I am participating in with the Saturday crowd, although I missed uh, this last Saturday, they had a, a moment where somebody was tinkering with my Warforged Barbarian. And, and my, my Warforged Barbarian talks like this. And I try to keep a, an uninflected, rather uh, staid voice throughout. And this one... Uh, NPC was doing some work on something to fix something. And just as a joke, I went, Oh boy, I feel so much better now. This is great. <laughs> and it actually, kill, it actually killed the crew. We actually uh, for about five minutes because everybody was laughing. <laughs> oh, I love it. And then Elena, Elena, our dungeon master, actually said with a great deal of hope in her voice, she was like, do you really do that? <laughs> I was like, no, no, I don't want to. I don't want to do that voice for a whole campaign. So I, was no, just, I can't so. do it more than a minute. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Nobody wants a Charlie in the box. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the voice. Now I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? This show has been going on for a good little while, but uh, fuck it. Let's do some red light, green light. All right. All right. All right, gentlemen, we got some more pitches here. And, of course, we got Captain Luddite joining us, part of the corporation this time. Uh, we got four pitches this time, just like we have been, guys. Uh, except it turns out one of these pitches has been written by a competing company. So... Do what you can to not green light that. We don't want to lose time or money. 
But we got some pitches here I think you're going to enjoy, guys. But as usual, money's tight, so we can only green light one pitch each. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the titles real quick as to what we have here. And then I'm going to go through the pitches, and then you tell me which ones that you want green lit. All right. So the names of the shows are... Thirst, Dirk Pitt, The Multiverse, and Warcross. Those are the four shows. Not so a good gonna... start. What was <laughs> it? <laughs> the first one is, well, I'll get into the actual one here soon. So Thirst is the first one. So let's go Thirst. into that one. HBO is developing a hip-hop vampire drama. Currently titled Thirst. The series tells the story of a brilliant but cocky Atlanta rapper who thinks he's found his way to stardom when he links up with hip-hop's hottest group. But he has no idea they are hiding a terrifying secret. They are a family of vampires with roots going back centuries. Quote, Music has been integral to both of our lives and thirst is the perfect opportunity to blend genres while exploring the intersection of fame, culture, and what it means to be American, says Lee Benavides Rodriguez and Carlito Rodriguez in a joint statement. Their series is based on an original concept by Kevin Jordan. Benavides Rodriguez and Rodriguez will serve as writers, executive producers, and showrunners. They last worked on Empire and The Leftovers which was another HBO show, I believe. So that is Thirst for HBO. And I heard my wife in the other room scream red light. (laughs) 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 Uh, Next up is Clive Cussler's Dirk Pitt series is getting a series development deal with Amazon Studios. Much like with The Expanse, Jeff Bezos is a long life, uh, long, lifelong fan of Clive Cussler's work and is quoted as saying, the best way to honor his legacy was to put it up on the screen, unquote. The series yeah. is looking to include at least three books to a season. And yes, that means season one finale would include Raise the Titanic. Quote, the Dirk Pitt book series was always set a few years it years in the future from publication date, which naturally lent the series to a sense of what-if sensibility. Dirk Cussler, son of Clive and named after the lead character, said in an interview, quote, The ocean is one of the last frontiers left for the imagination to explore, and my father's works have provided us with an opportunity to really cultivate this fertile property, unquote. This will be the second attempt at a regular series, the first attempt at CW having been quashed after the failed big screen outing of Sahara starring Matthew McConaughey as the titular pit in 2005. Before this, the only other adaptation was Raise the Titanic, which released a full five years before the actual discovery and fate of the Titanic in 1985. Third, we have The Multivore. CBS All Access is developing an adult animated series called The Multivore. The series comes from Kirker Butler, who's written for Family Guy, and Scott Mosier, 
who was a producer for Clerks, Mall Rats, Dogma, Jay and Silent Bob, and The Grinch. It's described as marriage story mixed in with Rick and Morty. The multiverse. Is it multiverse or multiverse? No, multiverse. V O R C E, like divorce. Uh, multiverse. The multiverse is going to be a half hour comedy around the Gundersons. Quote, a seemingly normal American family, mother, father, three kids dealing with the complicated realities of divorce. However, instead of the kids having to spend every other weekend at their father's shitty bachelor apartment across town, they spend every other weekend with their warrior queen mother in her very exciting and often dangerous kingdom somewhere in the multiverse, unquote. So that is the multiverse. And finally, we have Warcross. Marie Lou's video game focused young adult novel Warcross will be getting adapted into a TV series. Here's the description. For the millions who log in every day, Warcross isn't just the game, it's a way of life. The obsession started 10 years ago, and its fan base now spans the globe, some eager to escape from reality, and others hoping to make a profit. Struggling to make ends meet, teenage hacker Amika Chen works as a bounty hunter tracking down Warcross players who bet on the game illegally. But the bounty hunting world is a competitive one, and survival has not been easy. To make some quick cash, Amiko takes a risk and hacks into the opening game of the International Warcross Championships, only to accidentally glitch herself into the action and become an overnight sensation. Convinced she's going to be arrested, Amika is shocked, and instead she gets a call from the game's creator, the elusive young billionaire Hideo Tanaka, with an irresistible offer. He needs a spy on the inside of his this year's tournament in order to uncover a security problem, and he wants Amika for the job. With no time to lose, Amika is whisked off to Tokyo, thrust into a world of fame and fortune she's only dreamed of, but soon her investigation uncovers a sinister plot with major consequences for the entire Warcross empire. Rights to the project have been optioned by Bruna Papadera's made-up stories and producer John Cameron, who will also direct the pilot. Adam Lash and Corey Udika will write and executive produce. Lou is also attached as an executive producer. No release date has been set for the series. So there we have Thirst, Dirk Pitt, The Multiverse, and Warcross as a potential series. I'm not quite, I don't think I understand what Dirk Pitt is about. Uh, Dirk Pitt is kind of like in is an adventure book series, kind of like Indiana Jones, but more modern day. And more kind of a, a techno thriller kind of series. Um, like they've only done two movies, like I said before, the Sahara, which was all right. Yeah. And uh, raised the Titanic. But there's so saw. many Dirk Pitt books. So I've many ne- of them. Never heard of them. I've never heard of them. Oh, my okay. word. Yeah. Clive Cussler uh, before uh, Patterson. That was Clive okay. Cussler. Okay. I'd only heard of the books because of the McConaughey movie, and uh, and Todd's right. The 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 Sahara movie was just okay. But yeah, it's there's a great. lot of fans of those Dirk Pitt books, like a lot of fans. Oh, and, yeah, and I've never heard of Raising the Titanic. 
Oh, that was that was when that book came out. That was big. That was the 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 book of the summer. Really interesting. Yeah, Um, I remember going to you know back in the days. Remember bookstores? Yeah, never never heard of them. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, and and going through and you know when you pass down the aisles, there there is that one shelf that's a Clive Cussler shelf. Interesting. So yeah, yeah. I mean, but was because to me there was a hint that this would all be like exploring the ocean in one of the books. It, every book is a separate adventure. Okay, but because to me, probably I think one of his best like, known one was that raised the Titanic, and so yeah. I think that's why it's leading with it. I mean, I think I'd be fascinated in a Indiana Jones underwater series, but mm-hmm. I don't know about just an Indiana Jones all over. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, each each one tackles its own okay. own thing, and it's, it, it tells its own self-adventure i don't deny that there's probably an audience for a hip-hop vampire tv show but i am not that audience <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it's funny we just talked about the the hip-hop um yes. the um, sorcerer sisters. sorcerers that was the one yeah. that uh, that you greenlit if i remember right oh uh-huh. last week i i hope that's not a fake pitch because i swear i've seen a uh, a trailer for that on hbo recently well, let's go down the line. Uh, for, before we go give our green lights, uh, do you have any other questions I may or may not be able to answer about any of these? Uh, well, I think so it's time third, to vote. All right. Dark Pit. What are the other two? <laughs> Thirst, Dark Pit, the Multivorce, and oh, the multi-vorse. Warcross. And uh, since you are our guest, Captain Luddite, you get to wow. lay down your green light first. Yeah, I don't know if I have any money for any of these. Because um, Ready Player One, but it's slightly different because it's a, it's, yeah, eh, the last one I'm not interested in. Multivorce, such a terrible name. What are they doing? I might have to be stingy and say I don't greenlight any of them. I hate to say it. No, the Barry Rob Gambit. Yeah. If I, <laughs> I, hey, I did that last week. So If I have to greenlight one of them, I think it would be Thirst just because I think there's an audience for it. Like I say, I don't think I'm the audience for it, but I think there's an audience for it. So uh, I would, if I have to greenlight one of them, I'll greenlight that. And I, I want to play the game. I don't want to like, I don't want to game the game and not trying to get the wrong one. So I'll, I'll say Thirst. All right. Uh, how about you, Andy? What, uh, what do you lay your green light? I, I'm pretty much the same place that uh, Luddite is. I, none of these sound like things I'm excited about, but I, I think Thirst probably has a chance of making some money. Yeah, Multivorce sounds just like one of the scenes of Rick and Morty, and there was a season there. I'll go with Thirst. All right, that's uh, two greens for Thirst. How about you, Jeff? I'm going to green light the, the Dirk Pitt series because uh, I thought that the you know Sahara had potential, but... I think if they can do it as a series, they might have a, a better shot of fleshing out the character and, and getting into some of the more adventures in the, the book series. I mean, if I agree that if anyone should do it, it should be done right. Uh, well, you mean done well? Done right, put, <laughs> no, it's done right productions. He's absolutely so, correct. So, I mean, if it's done right. All right. How about you, Kay? What, where's your green? Okay, first of all, I, I want to I make this statement because I, I don't think people are picking up on it enough. This is not about um, us trying to avoid being punked 
by yeah. the by the good guy the good suggestion if anything the good suggestion getting chosen by us is a, is a merit for the suggestion absolutely and people Barry was this uh, made a similar comment where he's like trying to avoid and I, I say don't well, do that what I was at doing. all yeah. yeah don't do that at all take them all as real and then we'll find out I I don't yeah, think yeah. trying to avoid the 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 bitch pitch is uh is the goal. Um, having said that, uh, pitch, pitch is what we're calling them. Yeah, sure. Thirst has uh, no interest in me. Actually, it's not because of the hip hop thing. It's because of the vampire angle. I think sorcerers was much more interesting and uh, uh, much more tied into and a part of hip hop culture that would would make it worthwhile. I think there is possibility in a Dirk Pitt franchise, frankly, uh, series, do uh, do a bunch of uh, Dirk Pitt TV shows. Yeah, actually, that that might have some possibility. The uh, the 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 Ready Player One one. There's Sword Art Online, which is a very that's a popular anime, and and there's a whole actually little literary community called lit rpg which is about people getting inserted into computer simulations but i'm not pleased with the whole uh as uh luddite said the 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 ready player one moment of communicating with the originator of the story and the this whole thing i think people living in a, a virtual world uh, kind of story, maybe even trapped in it could be interesting, but I'm not hearing the pitch yet that I think would be a cool series. Um, and to be perfectly frank, multivorce really appeals to me. Um, I like the idea of, you know, you, you go away every weekend to this fantastical kingdom. I think that that's actually a neat idea. That's sort of like the, uh, the, uh, I, I can't think of the original title, the Ready Player One spinoff, <laughs> you know, but um, so Multivorce is what gets my vote. It's a little like Chronicles of Narnia, too. Like they, you go to the this fantasy world and then come back and go to this fantasy world. Sure. So, yeah. Sure. All right. So that's two green lights for Thirst, one green light for Dark Pit. And one for Multivore. So it looks like we are going to be developing Thirst for HBO, the hip-hop vampire drama. So now that our, we've laid our money down, gentlemen, would you like to take a guess as to which one of these is the fake pitch? I really have I'll, no idea. I'll, I'll guess Warcross. I don't know. Maybe Warcross. All right. Jeff, any thoughts? Nope. <laughs> Well, this is the first week where we did not green light a fake pitch. Oh. HBO is developing Thirst. The fake pitch was sent to us by Sean Darty, and it is the Dirk Pitt series. Ah, wow. Amazon, which I'm very disappointed because I think that sounds wonderful, too. <laughs> and that means Thirst and the Multiverse and Warcross are all in development. Good. Yay. <laughs> what I are you love gonna this do? game. I love this game so much. <laughs> I've always liked Red Light Green Knight. I think it's fun. Yeah. 
Uh, and if you have a pitch to send to us, by all means, please do. Comments at UglyCouchShow.com. Put Pitches Bitches in the subject title. And again, make sure it is at least a genre adjacent. Uh, whether it is uh, you're, you're pitching a book that actually exists or a series that exists like Dirk Pitt or coming up with something wholly original, either way, it doesn't, doesn't matter. But it does have to be genre adjacent. Todd, can't you just take the pitches that weren't quite genre adjacent and, and add in space to them? <laughs> Perhaps I, I might be able to fiddle a bit with them. We've gotten plenty, and and those that have sent the the non-genre ones have sent multiple. So they've sent genre ones as well. But I just wanted to make sure those that are considering sending them are, are getting them so that they'll be red light, green lights adjacent. And I also want to uh, pat uh, Sean Darty on the back a bit uh, because his pitch I didn't adjust at all. He wrote it perfectly for red light green light i did not have to change a word it sounds like all the rest of them so uh, so sean you have a future in film and television pr if you want it out there it's uh you already have the the verbiage down andy adding space to all the pitches is just the whole point of the columbastro series that that paul came up (laughs) right (laughs) did this pitch happen uh in space and, of course, if you have any other questions, I'm sorry we didn't get to go to, get to emails today. Uh, time got a little tight, but we will get to them. And if you That's have an email fault. to send to us, write to us, comments at UglyCouchShow.com. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Back Jack Andy. And Captain Luddite. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. I missed your voice, man. So good yeah. to hear you. Yeah. Good, good to, to have hear you guys. Good it's talking nice to you. Man. Sorry, I wouldn't shut up. No, you're no. kidding me. No, that's good show. That's good stuff. That's the fact check Andy rule. I was gonna say I, I talk quite a bit this time too, and I've I've been around for a couple weeks now, so I've I've I, I shouldn't be as uh, crazy and excited and talkative as I am, but you know, that's because you're practically a shut in, Andy. <laughs> I, I I am, yeah. <laughs> yes, so, I am. Back to where we were starting. What am I missing about Cobra Kai? Okay. Here oh we go. yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. does not like Cobra Kai. I haven't seen season three yet. I can't you still haven't past... finished two, right? Right. I can't get past episode four. I just of can't. Season one. Like, of season one, it just doesn't. It doesn't do it. It doesn't do it for me. I honestly think that your mileage depends on how much to heart the the Karate Kid series was to you. I I don't. I don't deny that people can get into it without being into Karate Kid, yeah. and that's possible. But I think the the more you cared about Karate Kid uh, when it came out, the more you enjoy this series. That's I. That's what I'm thinking. Is that's and then there are those who are much younger than us who are just into the whole nostalgia thing. For me, it's it's a good balance of the the fun action scenes with the the heart that they put into the show. Um, granted, you're only four episodes in, so you're only halfway through the first season. Um, but the characters are written very well. Um, the you know not not the, in the first four episodes. Well, <laughs> but you're also you haven't gotten deep enough into the whole you know how Johnny is trying to deal with adulthood and you know his wanting to do the right thing, just not knowing how to do it in a way that's I, I guess I socially that, acceptable. But, but what is it? Eight episodes for the first season? It's ten episodes. Ten half hour episodes. episodes. 
I'm almost halfway through, and if I'm not interested in those characters and they're not well written by now, I just don't see the point. Well, I mean, <laughs> I disagree, but if that's how yeah. you feel about it, then yeah, you probably are yeah. going to want to finish the series. Yeah. I, t- I tell you, you're saving me, Luddite, because I have not, not watched any of it, and uh, I was feeling a little pressure to watch it now, and I'm not feeling as much pressure to watch it now. Well, I just, like, it's, I don't think it's filmed very well. I don't think it's, the stories are all that interesting. I think it's a little hackneyed in some ways that it's dealing with things. I mean, a lot of the characters seem very two-dimensional at this point. Well, I I will admit season two is much better than season one, but season one is what really gets the kick, gets the movie or the the series kicked off. So, yeah, I I think if the series doesn't speak to you by its halfway point of the first season, I don't think it's really going to grab you any further. And I I honest, I watched Karate Kid so much as a kid that I I know every moment of that that movie like yeah. I do uh, Breakfast Club and Star Wars. Well, yeah. but don't, also don't forget, Todd, you know, the, the whole season one fallacy has gone on f- through multiple series. I mean, Next Gen season one is sure. nigh unwatchable nowadays, but it yeah. has a couple of decent episodes in there. Yeah, but, but I don't think that Cobra Kai suffers from that. I don't either, but yeah, I, uh, I don't think opinion. it's I don't think it's one of those things like no. If you got to get through season one and then you'll enjoy the rest of it, no. If you don't enjoy season one, I don't think you're going to enjoy season two. Well, but you did say that you weren't really enjoying season one of Clone Wars, but then you said it got really good. Yes, yeah, but that's, that's Clone Wars. Says. That's a whole different thing. And yes, the first season of Clone Wars isn't as good as it gets, but it does lay the foundation. Well, uh, that's the season one of Cobra Kai. Even though season two is arguably a little bit better, I don't think it's like, nah, you got to get through this part to enjoy the wonderful things that await you. Oh, uh, I no, agree. No, I not agree. with Cobra Kai. Yeah, it's not, it's not a Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's not a, a Clone Wars. It's not that kind of situation where, give it time, it gets better, is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah. If, okay. You're saying, you either you're like saying it or that, you don't. Right. What, yeah, it what is what it is. What is it? What it is in season two and three is the same. Is, is just more of what's in season one. Todd is saying that if if you're not into it in the first season, you're not going to get into it in the second Wait, or third. It's not about quality. It's not about more in the same. It's just that if you're not in in the first season, there's nothing in second or third season that's going to turn you around. I have yet to get through the first season of Buffy. I've tried a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. I yeah. liked it. I mean, I, I love Willow. Tough. Willow's awesome. She's awesome. And she's really the only reason to watch anything in the first season. But mm. I just can't get through it to yeah. when the show supposedly gets really good. Yeah. And I just like Clone Wars. It doesn't really launch itself into awesomeness until the third season. I but you. you see it getting there in the second season where you're like, okay, now they're on to something. But man, that first season, you need it for the foundation. But, but you gotta earn your you gotta <laughs> earn your way to the third season, man. That's a lot of vegetables before I get to the pie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. So it's, it all depends on how much you really want to have Buffy in your life. Yeah, uh, like, how important like, is it to me to have Buffy in my life? I like, don't know. like like Clone Wars is becoming something very important, has become something very important in the Star Wars universe. So I want to get that foundation under me. And 
now it's worthwhile. But was it at the beginning? No, no, it, it wasn't. <laughs> this, this, this is the third time I've attempted Clone Wars. And I mean, I think it took me five or six tries to get through Lost. I, the first season was fun, but then the later seasons were the struggle and loss. I, I didn't. End, I I I got four or five oh. episodes into episode. Yeah, you have four or five episodes into loss. I'm like, nope, I don't give a shit about this. But I wanted to see where it went because everybody was talking about it, and I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. Was it worth it? No. <laughs> I mean, there were some interesting things that happened, but in the end, it just became so obvious that they were like, oh, we need to do another season because of you know money. And it was just that there was no there was no narrative reason for continuing that story uh, for yeah, as long. Yeah, I, as I like reading the uh, the interviews with the creators where they talk about how ABC wanted to stretch it out, and that yeah. really hurt their their overall plan. And then yeah, the no. fact that they really didn't have an an ending planned, or at least their ending was to kind of leave it yeah. be a mystery. And some of the writers were like, "That's what you're going to go with," and you you think that people aren't going to be upset about that. <laughs> There was no end that would have satisfied. Yeah, any show that goes beyond like three years, you know, once you get people in four or five years deep, it's rare they're going to be happy with the ending, right? Everybody has their own personal need of what that story needs to do, and you can't right. possibly do that. I don't know. There's, there's some series. I mean, like, I was uh, talking about Leverage a couple of times. Leverage, I think, ends perfectly well. Sure. But, you know, like most of the time, it's. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's a perfectly fine ending, but it's not like, wow, the best. You know what I mean? Like, it's rare that that happens. Sure. You know? Most it, shows go until the funding is pulled. Right. Yeah. I mean, Sopranos has an amazing show and, and an amazing run, but that ending is a lot of people hate it. Uh, and a lot of people love it. You know? I, so it's, it's funny. Do? I still have not talked to one person that loved the Sopranos ending. And I and I get that you know you're saying some people loved it, some people hated it. Yeah. I'm sure there are people out there that did like the ending. I'm not one of them. I don't know yeah. anybody that liked the ending. And it's funny how David Chase still is just like he's like I don't feel like I should have to defend my ending. He's like, you know, the ending is the ending, and I'm like, it's not really much of an ending. <laughs> it's 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 terrible. But he can you know whatever he gave yeah, you. Yeah, it's his it's his series and. You know? Hundreds of hours of entertainment. If that's how he wants to end it, let's yeah. end it that way. Yeah, I get it. Uh, I mean, the remake of Battlestar Galactica. Some people hate that ending. Other people love that ending. You wait, Jeff. Cobra Kai is going to end up with a honking horn and then Johnny looking up and then fade to black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take it off. Take it all off. off, Andy. Take it all off. Nobody <laughs> needs to see that. Hey, I'm going to oh, fill we up a little water, too. Yeah, we just take a little, uh, a little break here. See, I told you the wow. editing is seamless. <laughs> my, how things have changed. I'll be, I'll be right back. <laughs> well, I'm going to go piss in a bowl in my house. I got to get a new sheet of the, the little plastic covery thing because I put this on badly, and it's it's starting to pull up a little bit, and shit's getting behind it. So, yeah. That's, I, I, just just thought got Andy was, I just thought Andy was sick as shit and was getting all no. gray skinned and dying. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I Hang on. All right, just for you guys, I'll fix the damn thing. And, and what I've paid for is I can't see you guys at all anymore. So it's got to be the view oh, thing. Oh, I got it. I found it. I found it. I found it. Okay. I'm good. Except all that right. I, when I when it was uh, weird, I don't I don't see the little uh, <laughs> thumbnails of you anymore. I don't need to, but. And I'm the one called Luddite. Oh. Yeah. <laughs>
I, I've often thought, I've often thought that the, that was an unfair thing. Man Andy. <laughs> old man Andy. He pulled off the plastic. Now he <laughs> lost the video. He's old Gosh. man Andy. <laughs> you got to dust off the ukulele. You can do a drunken sower. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Traditional ukulele song, Drunken Sailor. Sure. Yes. <laughs> Andy seemed happy at that. That he would be cut for the, the podcast. No. Oh, oh. You have no idea the cuts that Todd makes that saves my ass. He made, a, he made a cut two or three weeks ago that I'm like, wow. Yeah, if, I, if that had gone through, I'd be dead now. They were really good for the city. They were actually, yes. they took part in charity events. And they were, they, were, they were a constant presence in anything that was a charity. Especially, especially uh, gay charities or you know, LV. LBGTQ. Uh, uh, Thank you. <laughs> Go ahead and start that sentence over. That'll that way it sounds really save them. Really nice. Save them. <laughs> save them. I don't know if we can save me on that one. Oh, I can start that sentence over and then just say it properly. And you're good. They were. They were. You know. They. They were very active in LGB. No, I can't do it. <laughs> You know, now it might just end up in the uh, bloopers room. <laughs> you want me to save him, Todd? Yeah, please. Oh, try. please. He didn't even try. <laughs> I got in my head and started giggling. LGB's all I got. Okay, you hold down the fort. <laughs> okay. Uh, why don't you, the fart. Why don't you uh, talk... Uh, to yourself about barbecue oh all right i actually like barbecue <laughs> i just didn't care about it going on and on and on <laughs> matt says you don't matt says you hate it yeah well matt's uh matt's been tainted by disease in the past several months so his brain's going <laughs> all right i'm gonna step away and get something to drink i'll be back yeah matt's gotten salty poor kid He's a uh, he's actually he's never been a nice Canadian, but he's definitely not a nice Canadian now. It's too bad. He's a good kid at heart, but you know, he just isn't a kid anymore. Now he's a burnt out husk, more machine than man. Who wants pie? <laughs>